0: great honor for me to introduce to uh, those of you who have not uh, yet met Canon Les Martin. He was with us a year ago uh, here at Resurrection uh, to introduce or reintroduce him to you. Uh, Canon Les, uh, while American by birth and um, uh, by citizenship, is uh, very much Nigerian by heart and serves as a full-time missionary uh, in Nigeria, particularly in the diocese of Joss, uh, Diets of Joss is located right in the center, a little bit north of the country of Nigeria, where we at Resurrection have been involved in global partnership and gospel partnership now for over 15 years. As Some of you may remember, I went with a small team in December uh, to minister there and to be ministered to there, and it's our hope to develop a back-and-forth relationship where Joss comes to us and we go to Joss to develop a really close uh, partnership. Canon uh, Les is here in large part because of that. Uh, he'll say a little bit more about his uh, hope-to-be, soon-to-be traveling partner, uh, Venerable Mark Mukan, who's always been my host in Nigeria, who is trying to get here, uh, facing some visa challenges um, at this point. But we are rejoicing to have Les here. Uh, Les is a missionary. Les is a scholar. Les is a pastor, a preacher, uh, someone who deeply loves the Lord. Uh, he has been recently made a canon... Uh, which is a rather obscure term for most of us. I once asked uh, his boss, Archbishop Ben Kwashi, so what is a canon? And he said, don't worry about all the ecclesiastical stuff. It's a man of God. That's a canon. Less is a man of God. His fruitfulness shows that. And so we're thankful to have uh, this brother here to preach the gospel. So may we hear and receive what the Lord desires to give to us. Uh, through our brother in Christ. So, a warm res. Welcome to you, Les. Great to have you here. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Um, yeah, when I, was, when, I, uh, when I first became an Anglican myself, I was an atheist by birth. I thought a cannon was a piece of artillery. And um, I hope that in a gospel way, I can be a little bit of artillery today. Uh, Bishop, thank you. Uh, Rez, thank you. It's good to be here. I first, uh, I first came to Rez years ago when I was in seminary in the 90s. It was in a different place and in some ways a different church, but it is in many ways my home here in America now. Uh, my home in Nigeria is much warmer. However, uh, having lived in Chicago, I know it's actually not that bad right now, and I thank God for that. Um, thank you for the permission, sir. It's a joy to be here. And I want to bring you greetings the way Africans do. First of all, from Mark, Venerable Mukan, who is supposed to be my traveling partner. Uh, let's pray that his visa gets open. He's hoping to join us this next week. And I'll tell you, Mark looks more like a Nigerian than I do. And in many ways, I'm just his warm-up act. He is a lot more dynamic than I am. and. We're a great partnership, so for the sake of the gospel here and for the sake of this church, let's just pray that those gates open. Um, I want to also bring you greetings from your brother and father in God, Archbishop Ben Closhy and his wife Gloria. This church is very dear to them. You know that. Your bishop's very dear to them, and this church is very dear to them. And it's with his blessing and encouragement that I get to stand here today. He loves you. And he appreciates your prayer and support for those of us in Joss. My own parish is St. Pyrrhon's on the Plateau. It was founded by the British, which is why it has such a long name. Uh, But St. Pyrrhon's on the Plateau is about the size of Rez. And we're right in the heart of the city. When the bombs go off, my house shakes. Um, But they greet you warmly. And my venerable Ephraim Gondon. Who I know would rather be here than me uh, greets you deeply uh, and greets your bishop as well. But perhaps the most important greeting I can give you is from the reality of Joss. I greet you on behalf of the poor and the dispossessed. I greet you on behalf of the martyrs. I greet you on behalf of the 30,000 refugees that have swelled our city and are living in tents. They're really your brothers and sisters. An entire denomination, uh, the partner denomination to the Church of the Brethren in this country, has ceased to exist. I greet you on behalf of those people, and I'm humbled in some small way to be their voice. Please remember them in your prayers. Uh, As Archbishop Ben always says, this will not last forever. And until it passes, they really need your prayer. Let's pray now. Father God, it is a joy to be here with this part of my, my family and your body. Lord, as we consider your word today, we ask that you would speak in spite of my limitations and the limitations of our hearing. Let your word only be spoken and only received. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. My grandmother played basketball on the first women's team that Duke University had, and even in her 70s, she could school me on the court. I had a grandmother who could palm a basketball. On her deathbed, she grabbed my hand so hard to tell me something important that I had a bruise for a week. She was a tough lady. She was my defender, my protector, but she was a tough lady. Um, And every spring, I had to endure something with my grandmother. Every spring, she would get her lawn chair. She had hurt her back over the years, and so now she walked with a cane. And she would take a lawn chair and sit in front of the garage. And like the bishop with his crozier, she would take her walking cane and stand there, or sit there, and begin to direct me. You see, every year the garage got all sorts of clutter, as garages would. And so I was supposed to be her arms and legs, but she was quite clearly the one in charge. Do this, do that. And with the enthusiasm of a little boy or a teenager, it was not something I was into. I didn't enjoy it. So I'd kind of be shuffling along, and she'd say, get that." You know, I half expected to see the see to part when she did that. But she'd say, get that. And I'd go for something, it was the wrong thing. And she'd go, no, 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 no. It was, it was quite frightening, actually. We um, <laughs> tried to stay kind of clear of her. Um, but the, the fact of the matter was, this is how it was every year. I was the slave laborer. I was, the, I was the, uh, the servant, and she was the master. Do this, do that. Some years, I thought I'd be clever, and I'd go down and try and clean the garage myself. But it was never good enough. I always got the wrong things. I put things in the wrong place, because she had a vision for what the garage should look like. She knew that she knew that she knew that no one could do it like she could. And so she would sit there, and even if I'd already tried, we still went out, and it was still do this, do that, and the waving, and and it was quite something. And that story comes to mind when I think of Jesus in the temple. We see a Jesus that defies some of our cultural expectations. This is not gentle Jesus. This is Jesus on a mission. He bursts into the temple and he's really annoyed. Some background. It's kind of odd that he's annoyed. It's kind of odd that he's annoyed on the surface. Because if you're coming from a long distance and you want to perform your sacrifices at the temple as the temple requires, you have to have temple money, which means you have to change your money, just like I do at the airport. And no one's going to carry a goat or a pigeon on the road. You have to buy the animals you're going to sacrifice. So the money changers and the people who sold the animals in one level Served an important part of temple worship. Uh, imagine if you came here and the bread wasn't provided. They, 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 provide, they, they provided a kind of important service that enabled the temple to go forward. But Jesus doesn't like it. He doesn't like what it's done to the house of the Father. Some of it, I suspect, is just the house of trade part. But I also suspect, living in the developing world, that some of it is not just the house of trade, but what we bring as human beings to the house of trade. When I go and change dollars into the Nigerian currency, the one thing I need to know is not Hausa, not the local language. I need to know the exchange rate for that day. Because if I don't know it, they're going to take me to the cleaner. Let me pause for a second. I've been in Nigeria for a year straight. It is so nice to be able to say, take me to the cleaner and know that you know what I mean. Um, They would be saying, why is he going to the cleaner? (laughs) Um, So I have to know that exchange rate, because if I don't know it, they're going to rob me. Human beings being human beings. So maybe it's the trade issue, or maybe that it's dishonest trade. But whatever the reason, Jesus comes in, he's a man on a mission, Kind of like my grandmother, only instead of a cane, he makes a whip and he's he's wailing on these guys. Get out of here. Get out of here. Shoo, shoo. Chases them out, turns over the tables, tells the people who sell the pigeons, take these things out of here. Don't make my father's house a house of trade. Jesus has a zeal that the temple would be pure. I think it startled everyone, even the disciples. It says that they don't really understand it till later. But then there's an interesting movement in what's recorded. He engages the, the officials and says, I need a, they say, I need a sign. And he says, in three days, tear down this temple and I'll raise it up again. They think he's talking about the stones, the masonry, the air conditioning, the audio, all that stuff. And they're like, he can't do that. Now, he could have. But they're totally wrong. The gospel immediately makes a leap that I think is very important for us. Goes from the temple that is the building to the temple that is his body. And it makes very clear in the gospel, he's talking about his body at that point. So there's an interesting movement here. He barges in, he cleans up what he sees as a mess that maybe no one else saw as a mess, and then he immediately starts talking about his own body. Well, that's precedent for something. Later, we learn in 1 Corinthians from Paul that this, that that, that that is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That in the people of God, there are two kinds of temples. There's this building, and just like last year, I thank God that he delivered you into such a beautiful worship space. My doctoral degree is in liturgy, and it just makes me happy every time I'm here. I find myself taking pictures of odd corners and... And and wishing. Liturgists are so prone to envy. Um, (laughs) Holy envy. The, The fact of the matter is, though, temples can be buildings, yes, but the real temple, the real temple in Christianity is this, and these people, and you. We're the temples. So today, now that we're in Lent, I want to talk a little bit about cleansing the temples. Not these But these. Lent's kind of funny, isn't it? Uh, The only parallel we have in the secular world is New Year's resolutions. And it's a bad parallel. But we kind of keep that stuck in our head. And so just like I might ask people this time of year about their New Year's resolutions, midway through Lent, I kind of want to just wander around and say, so how's it going? How's it going? Because I bet it's pretty bad. (laughs) I bet it's pretty bad, and I hope we can free you up from some of that today. One of the first places I want to start, though, is what's the point of Lenten discipline? I think one of the areas we've got to be careful is the American area. The other area where we want to be careful, I'm going to call the Nigerian area. I'm going to start with the Nigerian area first. I live among an amazing group of Anglican Christians. I'm privileged to be there. Every day is like, is like a, a gift. And the cool thing is, much like Rez, they've done such a good job at penetrating their culture, I'm actually an old guy. When I started my ministry back in the old Episcopal church, I was a young guy. I'd still be a young guy. But in Nigeria, I'm an old man. And it's kind of cool. And these people love the Lord and they try really hard, but they're not perfect. And one of the areas they're not perfect in is I like to say that Nigerians are fascinated with spiritual athleticism. Spiritual athleticism. They often want to say things like, we need to work really hard so that we can make heaven. We need to strive to please the Lord. I'm a convert, but one of the things that first converted me was what Paul said today. I'm going to paraphrase it in the Martin translation. I would like to do good, but every time I try to, I find that I don't. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this mess? And the answer, of course, is God. The danger of spiritual athleticism when it comes to our disciplines is there's a fine line between pleasing God and and buying God through what we do. Did you hear the colic today, Archbishop Cranmer's beautiful words? We have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. None. None, 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 none. If you go away from here with no other part of my message other than, gee, I thought he would be an African. Um, <laughs> please go away with the idea that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. It drives me crazy. I yell at my friends. I'm like, they say, well, if we make heaven. I say, you're not going to make heaven. You can't. Jesus made heaven for you. Relax. Jesus did what we cannot and we can never do. So the first purpose, it seems to me, of Lenten discipline that we have to watch out about perverting is we can't turn it into spiritual athleticism. We can't buy God. He won't love us more if we work really hard. Or if, you know, if I memorize the entire Old Testament in Lent, he's not going to be impressed. You might, but he's not. I don't get a better seat in heaven. The blood of Jesus purchased a pathway for me. While I was yet a sinner, on the worst day in the worst period of my life, before I ever gave my life to Jesus, when I was lost, I don't use that word too clearly anymore, but when I was completely lost, Jesus loved me as much as he did today. So we have to be careful with our Lenten discipline that somehow we're not trying to work our way into heaven. Anglicans are heirs of the Reformation. We're proud of the fact that we understand that it's only by grace through faith. Only by grace through faith. And I know, having lived in Chicago, having lived in Pittsburgh, when we live in areas where we are surrounded by our brothers and sisters of other traditions, plus our own American can-do attitude, we can buy into the Nigerian view that we've somehow got to make heaven. That if I crawl up these stairs on my knees, it will help me get there. Jesus helps us get there. So whatever you're doing with your Lenten discipline, the first thing I'd ask you to avoid is the the error that your sisters and brothers in Nigeria make. There is a place for discipline. We'll get to that in a minute. But it's not to buy anything. Jesus' blood, a better blood than mine, or yours, or Abel's, or the blood of the martyrs. Jesus' blood secures that for us. Now, there's also an American problem, I think, to Lenten discipline goes like this. Well, I will give up chocolate, I'll give up pizza, and that way I will be doing a Lenten Discipline plus I'll lose 10 pounds. I say to you, you have your reward. The fact of the matter is if we're not careful, we also turn Lenten Discipline into self-help. I'll walk more. Now, I believe God... Has a value for creation and a value for us as, as human beings. He's in favor of you eating your vegetables and walking more and living a healthy life. But that's just maintenance. That's not Lenten discipline. I had a friend down in Tennessee once said um, what he was going to do for Lent was he was going to give up smoking. I said, You don't smoke. He said, I know. He figured he had it nailed. But quite often, what we do is we turn in America, and in our desire, our own understanding of making something, maybe not making heaven, but making self-improvement. We turn our Lenten discipline into a pattern for living. And we kind of do what we should be doing the year round, and we turn them into New Year's resolutions. That's not Lent. And we're, incidentally, we're no more successful with our Lenten discipline than we are our New Year's resolutions anyway. So why do that? Why do that? So those are the dangers I want to lay out. So what's the point of Lenten discipline? First of all, I want to tell you that it's to grow up into the likeness of the head. Jesus set us free. Jesus set us free from sin, death, hell, and the devil. Amen? That's the best news. But the cool thing is, then, in partnership with him, the ideas that were supposed to grow up into the head grow up into his likeness. I like to think of it as family resemblance. When I was little, I didn't look like my grandfather, I looked like a baby, uh, which means that I looked like Winston Churchill. But uh, the fact of the matter is that as I got older, I looked a little more like him, but I was svelte, had a full head of hair. 29 inch waist. I still didn't look like my grandfather. I was going through some pictures. I was putting them on my iPad so I didn't have to carry the physical pictures when I moved to Nigeria. And I came across a picture of my grandfather at this age, my age. I have his posture. I have his belly. I have his jowl. Family resemblance wins out. Over time... Family resemblance wins out. And the cool thing about spiritual family resemblance is it's supposed to be the same. Having been saved, having been grafted, having been adopted into the body of Christ, the idea is now that we grow up into the head, into his very likeness. We start to look like him. And the idea of our spiritual discipline isn't that we're buying anything. It's all been bought and paid for. I like to wear crucifixes. Nigerians don't do that. And they say, why are you wearing a crucifix? I say, it's my receipt. This is the day I was bought and paid for. And I don't want to go anywhere without my receipt in case someone challenges me. We've been bought and paid for. Now the goal is to grow up into his likeness. Grow up into his likeness. And that's the point of Lenten discipline. So what do we do? Because if you're like me, and it's okay, I still fight this. If you're like me, you're going, well, some of my disciplines really are about trying to earn something I can't earn. Or some of them are about dropping 15 pounds so I can fit into that dress. How do I figure out what God wants in terms of my Lenten discipline? Let's go back to the temple. Remember, the money changers and the sellers of animals had a purpose. I suspect most people saw nothing wrong with it, but Jesus did. And Jesus decides to put the temple back to its original purpose. He decides to put it back to the worship of God as it's supposed to be by cleansing it. Just like my grandmother with that cane. Get this out of here. Move that over there. Oh, that can't do. He cleanses the temple so that it can be pure. So that it can be set apart for what it's supposed to be in the first place. He wants to do the same thing with us, with these temples. But here's the key. If that's true, then when we're engaged in discipline, we don't sit down and say, well, what do I I need to do to improve myself? Or what do I need to do to earn a salvation that's already paid for? No, it's much more subtle than that. Like me listening to my grandmother. We have to drop deep into our heart, and through Scripture through our clergy, through prayer, we need to be asking God, Lord, what is it you would have me take away? He says to the, to the sellers of the pigeons, take these things away. They were supposed to be there, and yet they weren't. And so they had to go. There are many things within us, even after salvation, Things that maybe worked for a while. They're not really sinful, but they worked for a while and and they don't anymore. Or things that are besetting sins. And we need to come before the Lord. The Lord. Not before tradition. Not before what we did last year. We need to come before the Lord and hear in our hearts. Lord, what is it you would have me do? How can I cooperate with you? Cleanse this temple. You direct, I'll move the stuff. I'll move the furniture, but you direct. What is it that Jesus needs to do in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, to cleanse this temple? And before we get back into performance, hear me clearly. What is it that Jesus needs to do? Not what is it you need to do. It would be debatable as to who cleaned the garage. I was the muscle, but it was really my grandmother cleaning the garage. She pointed and waved and... Let's do that with God. Jesus cleanses this temple, not us. We're just the muscle. So I would beg of you to take the time. Take the time during this Lenten season to ask yourself about your disciplines in a new way. It's not punching a card. It's not, well, I did this this year. I gave up chocolate for the last 15 years and ate fish on Friday, so I'll do it again. That's too small an imagination. Ask God. Ask God what he would have you take out of the temple of your life. And then trust that he will give you the power and the means to do it, but also do it. And you may be saying, well, Canon, that's great, but it's, it's the third Sunday of Lent. You should have told us this on Ash Wednesday. Well, it's not really about Lent anyway, friends. It's about our Christian life. So I don't care if it's the third Sunday or the last Sunday. Do it now. Um, One of the great things about being a visiting priest is you have a little bit of a less consequences. So I will do this the classic way we do. I'm sure the bishop won't mind if you change your discipline because you're listening to the Lord. So listen, I beg you. These temples need to be cleansed again and again and again. It doesn't buy us heaven, thank God. Because like Paul... Like New Year's resolutions, what I'm aware of is I know the good I want to do, and I often don't do it. But it does help us grow up into the family likeness. You have that likeness already. You're blessed in this church. But there's no end to the journey. St. Benedict says, always we begin again. So let it be again. You know, when I would listen to my grandmother and endure that ritual, the true thing was the garage always looked better. Because she did have the vision. It was her garage. It was her stuff. And so underneath the wailing of the cane and the, and, the, and the rather loud ejaculations of sound, No, 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 no! Underneath that, the vision would come out. And the garage got put back into order. Because it was her garage. These are Jesus' temples. Not yours. He has the vision for each of you. Isn't it wonderful? He has the vision for each of you. So during this time, let him move the furniture around. Let him him tell you what needs to be thrown out. And then throw it out. Remake the interior. Now. Now so that you can be a fit t- temple for God to dwell in, so that you can meet Him on Easter Day, a new person with new gifts, new hope and new purpose. Let Him do it. Ask Him to do it. And in the journey, when you get discouraged, remember it's not just that temple. The cool thing about how it works, He cleans up these temples. And that in turn cleans up this temple. No more backbody, no more gossip, no more factionalism. And when this temple gets cleaned up, then the real temple gets cleaned up. A new heaven and a new earth. And there doesn't need to be a temple in the city anymore because all creation is a temple. But it starts here. And here, and here, and here. So ask God into your heart. It's a crazy thing. Let's make Lent less about self-help and more about God. That's a novel idea. Ask Him. He'll tell you. Take these things away. This is to be my Father's house. That's true of each and every one of you. Each and every one of us. Because one day we're supposed to grow up and look like Him. May God give us that strength. Let's pray. Father God, Sometimes we don't want to do discipline, whether it's for you or ourselves. As Paul says, we're pretty bad at it. We see another war at work in our members. And sometimes when we want to do discipline, it's out of anxiety that we need to please you and earn something, or it's out of a desire to, to be a new and improved person. Both of those are false. Lord, any of us, including myself, can fall into those. And, and for anyone who has fallen into those, Lord, I just ask your grace now. Open their ears wider that they may hear your voice about what needs to be cleansed in these temples. Not what they think, but what you think. Make them ready for a future of service, a future of worship. Make empty space as the trash goes out that may be filled with your presence, your spirit, and your gifts. Not just for them, not just for me, not just for the Nigerians, but for everyone who calls your name. Lord, make us your temple that the world may see the new thing you are doing in the midst of decay and violence. We ask in Jesus' name.